Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, Jason Van Tatenhove, and it is a blustery blue sky day dotted with the white clouds here in Estes Park, but it's cold. Things have been cold all week, but uh, no snow. We didn't get any snow over the weekend. I was hoping we would. We haven't had our first real snow yet, so uh, they're saying maybe Wednesday or Thursday, but we'll see. We always tend to get something before Halloween, and if you've never experienced Halloween here in Estes Park, they shut down like the whole main drag and uh, make it just like a pedestrian mall for a few hours from like 4.30 to 7.30. And uh, man, it's just great. If you got the kids, you want to do some trick-or-treating, uh, all the businesses, the, the whole community donates candy. Um, and then uh, it's distributed to the businesses downtown and the kids just go trick-or-treat there. It's great. You don't need to uh, worry what neighborhood your kids are trick-or-treating in if you come on up here. So uh, it is October 25th, Tuesday, and um, what's been going on? Well, I've got a, I finally reached out and talked to my editor over at Skyhorse and, um, you know, because you, you, you put in your final draft and then you got several weeks where you just, it's just radio silence. And, you know, if you know any creatives in your life, if you know any writers or artists, man, we just suffer from the worst crippling self-doubt and any little thing will will throw you know just kick that off so um you know i've just been having nightmares for weeks now of of <clears throat> my editor coming back and being like what what is this shit why did we sign a contract with you why did we want our money back and we're gonna sue you for more and luckily enough i talked with my editor today and she she's really she thinks it's pretty good stuff she um she says it's her favorite thing she's been working on recently anyway and uh actually been saving it till the end of her day so she has something fun to work on um to end her day off so that that's encouraging for me you know i have a real you know because i put out books on my own i've got uh two different titles and and some other things that i've, I've put out on my own um in the the novel uh arena but um this is my first real big time publisher, you know, New York City publisher. And uh, it's just good to hear that it uh, what I've written is just not utter crap and uh, actually being enjoyed by people in the business. So that's a good sign. I got a, I got a major, I got a journalist from a major uh, East Coast magazine. I'm not going to say exactly which one yet. Um, flying out today. We're going to be uh, doing an in-depth profile piece. And I'll let you guys know when that comes out and where it's at. Um, but it usually takes two or three days to do something like that. So uh, got to go grab dinner with the journalist tonight. Um, Monday, I fly out. If any of my listeners are out in the L.A. area, um, the day after Halloween, I will be on stage with Michael Cohen for a live rendition of his Mea Copa podcast. And, uh, I know that I won't be on stage with her, but, but Kathy Griffin, the, uh, two-time Emmy winning comedian, um, will also be a part of the show and a few other surprise guests, but, uh, I'll put a link in if you're in the LA area and you want to check me out live on stage at the El Rey theater on November 1st, you can uh, click on 
the link I'm going to put into the show notes and uh, get your tickets. So if it's something you're interested in, do it now. Um, so today we're going to be coming up on the uh, upcoming election about two weeks out. Is it four weeks? How many weeks is it? Anyway, it's coming up quick. And um, <clears throat> it's uh, two weeks. We're almost exactly two weeks. We are two weeks from election day for the midterm elections. And, um, you know, I did uh, get my feet wet with uh, doing my first political uh, ad down in the Arizona area, talking about the uh, some of the dangers associated with some of the um, candidates running for secretary of state. Um, and, uh, so I, th I figured we'd do something kind of a related because there's been a lot of issues specifically in Arizona for some reason, where you have these kind of militia folks who are dressed up in cam and they have their face masks and whatnot. They're armed and they're camped out in front of the, uh, the, the ballot drop boxes, um, where, um, a lot of the that Latino communities are using the vote and whatnot, and there's actually been a um, a lawsuit filed. We're trying to stop it. We'll see how that goes. It happened this morning, um, but you know, we 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 also have certain sheriffs, county sheriffs, who have been um, talking about you know taking a role um, in in providing oversight to the elections that's really not part of their purview and um you know i do these talks with georgetown laws uh institute for constitutional advocacy and protection um that i've been doing this kind of speaking tour um over the summer and they have just put out recently last month um with a another organization other nonprofit the States United Democracy Center, uh, along with the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection, put out a fact sheet about constitutional sheriffs and elections. So I thought it'd be a great time to just kind of read what they're talking about. Um, it gives you a, it cuts through the mythology and the conspiracy theories and just the bullshit that's out there <clears throat> about constitutional sheriffs and elections. And I thought it was really well timed right now to to kind of get that out there and share kind of the the real information. It's all referenced and um, cited, and I will place a uh, link up to the document um, so that you can see it as well and read it for yourself and go through and look at all the uh, the different codes and statues and whatnot that they're referencing. Um, where they're getting this information from, because it's very well researched and, and referenced and really cuts to the truth. And that's kind of what what the uh, ICAP or Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection does is they they really do a good job. They have people like Mary McCord, who's heading it up, um, who's a previous attorney general for national security. Um, but, you know, people who are in the trenches and, and really know what they're talking about, who are cutting through again, the bullshit and the, the conspiracy theory and the mythologies that have kind of sprung up around the notion of the constitutional sheriff and gets right to what the legal um, truth of it is. So I thought that would be a great topic to tackle today and um, really kind of dig into. So 
we're going to get into that. Before we do that, I want to take a time to uh, thank my sponsors, the Historic Park Theater here in Estes Park, Colorado, and the Real Mountain Theater also here in Estes Park, Colorado. One's kind of a Oh, it's an experience because it's it's one of the oldest, longest-running movie theaters in North America, west of the Mississippi. Um, definitely historic. Um, there's a lot of a lot of ghost hunts that go on there, but that that happens all over town. I mean, Estes is just a very haunted place. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the other one is the Modern Theater, where you can get the full uh, experience of of the modern cinema all right well let's go ahead and jump into what are constitutional sheriffs and elections and i'm basically just going to read this to you and comment as i go this is not my writing this is again put out by the states united democracy center and the institute for constitutional advocacy and protection um, at georgetown law so um, and it's entitled Fact Sheet, Constitutional Sheriffs and Elections. Law enforcement plays an essential role in ensuring that our elections remain safe, free, and fair. Officers across the country help protect voters, election officials, and others involved in voting processes and help maintain order and safety at polling places at, and county clerk's offices. They are critical partners to the thousands of state and local officials who run our elections each year. At the same time, there is an alarming trend among some in law enforcement who threaten to interfere in elections without any lawful basis to do so. Under the false and disproven claim that voter fraud is widespread and that the 2020 election was stolen, one such troubling development is the rise of the constitutional sheriff's movement and its efforts to mobilize local law enforcement and county sheriffs in particular to intervene in election administration. This prospect raises serious potential for voter intimidation and election meddling that poses a threat to free and fair elections. It has also prompted questions about the legitimate scope of authority possessed by local sheriffs limitations on their power, particularly in the election context, and how to remove sheriffs who abuse those powers. This fact sheet attempts to provide guidance on these important questions and others. And I can tell you that I, I personally was surprised. I, uh, I had a film crew come up from, well, both Texas and Florida um, over the summer, and particularly in Texas, apparently the constitutional sheriff movement has really taken off and kind of spread like wildfire. They actually have trainings that um, are, uh, are, are credentialed trainings that, you know, law enforcement officers to keep their post certification have to, to do regularly to keep up on their training um, and their certification. So um, when you have an extremist group that's providing this, it really calls into question the influence they might have. So let's get back to this. What is the constitutional sheriff's movement? And this is, again, this is just my, my side comments. Um, I can tell you that with my time with the Oath Keepers, that, that the, the constitutional sheriffs, um, specifically Richard Max group, the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, CSPOA, um, who's the, the, really the, the main contender in this, this realm, um, 
has been working hand in hand with Oath Keepers since day one. I mean, Richard Mack was a signing member of the board of directors when the Oath Keepers were formed. And I can't tell you how many times we would travel out so that either uh, Stuart could be a part of Stuart Rhodes, the founder and president of the Oath Keepers, could be part of one of the CSPOA um, events or vice versa, Richard Mack coming and being a part of the um, the Oath Keepers events. And I actually talk about in my book, The Perils of Extremism, which uh, is coming out in February, February 7th, um, everywhere. Um, I, I talk about, um, even during Bundy Ranch, a situation had happened where um, it was a pretty alarming situation where, where Richard Max actually um, suggested using women and children as, as human shields. Kind of gives you some notion um, as to the, the, the mental processes involved at the leadership level of these groups. Um, anyway, let's get back to this, this fact sheet. What is the Constitutional Sheriff's Movement? The Constitutional Sheriff's Movement contends that the law enforcement powers held by the sheriff supersede that of any agent, officer, elected official, or employee from any level of government when in the jurisdiction of the county. So they're, they're the top dog. They, they can override the FBI, the, and then the Supreme Court um, in their, their thinking. The self-proclaimed constitutional sheriffs claim to derive the supreme authority from a historical practice as well as the oath they swear to the Constitution, even though an oath pledging to uphold the Constitution is standard for many public officials and government employees. Thus, constitutional sheriffs assert that they have the power to determine the constitutionality of the laws they are entrusted with enforcing and to refuse to enforce any law that they believe is unconstitutional. Although only a small fraction of the nation's sheriffs are part of the movement, in recent years, constitutional sheriffs have refused to enforce a host of public safety laws, from COVID-19-related mask mandates to state and federal gun laws, and have affirmatively sought to frustrate federal land management and other government programs. More recently, the movement has turned to promoting unsubstantiated claims that the 2020 election was rigged or stolen. This election-related campaign is led by the Texas-based organization True the Vote, which advances disproven claims of significant election fraud. And Protect America Now, a political organization that aims to mobilize sheriffs and law enforcement to oppose what it views as government overreach. The joint campaign called ProtectAmerica.Vote seeks to provide local sheriffs with information, resources, and tools to have real-time eyes on voting in their county a role so far outside the traditional scope of most county sheriff's duties. The Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, or CSPOA, an organization that subscribes to the view that the sheriffs are the supreme power in their counties and are the power, and that the power of the sheriff even supersedes that of the president, has also joined the campaign. The campaign has called on sheriffs to investigate disproven claims of fraud tied to the 2020 election and to insert themselves into election administration going forward. So is it true sheriffs are the highest law of the land, answerable only to the U.S. Constitution? The answer is no. The idea that sheriffs have authority that supersedes all other local, state, and federal law enforcement authorities within a county has no valid basis in the text of or history of the U.S. Constitution. The word sheriff does not appear in the Constitution, although the office of 
county sheriff in many states is specifically created by the state constitution as an elected office. That does not mean the sheriffs are not subject to other regulation. Indeed, as noted elsewhere in, the first, in this fact sheet, many aspects of sheriffs' roles are controlled by state constitutions and or statutory law, including their duties, compensation, terms of elections, and procedures for removal. And of course, sheriffs, like all other law enforcement officers, are subject to the constraints of their state constitutions and the U.S. Constitution when it comes to the use and application of their law enforcement powers. Do the sheriffs have the authority to oversee the administration of elections? No. Oversight of election administration or operations ordinarily performed by other state or local officials. If a sheriff attempts to oversee election administration or operations by, for example, seeking information from local election officials about election administration or questioning them about their procedures, election officials should immediately consult with the municipal attorney, such as the city or county attorney, the district or commonwealth attorney, county or state election officials, or their legal advisors and or the state attorney general. Left unaddressed, sheriffs who overstep their roles may not only violate the law, but also may give the impression of attempting to interfere with an election or preventing duly authorized election officials from fulfilling their responsibilities. Moreover, although sheriffs have general public safety responsibilities, many states have laws that restrict law enforcement officials from policing polling centers because of the potential that their presence will intimidate or deter voters. The Brennan Center for Justice has identified some of these legal restrictions. In general, sheriffs and other law enforcement officers should not be at polling places during voting unless their presence is requested by election officials in order to maintain a safe voting environment or to protect against voter intimidation, which is a crime under state and federal law. Do sheriffs have the authority to investigate election fraud? Well, that answers, uh, it, it depends. The authority to investigate alleged election fraud will depend on the authority given to sheriffs under state law, which varies from state to state as described below. In states that authorize sheriffs to investigate all state crimes, that authority likely would include election-related crimes in their county. In states that limit sheriffs' investigative authority to where sheriffs are required to defer to municipal law enforcement, the investigation of election-related crimes may be outside of a sheriff's jurisdiction. And even where sheriffs have general investigative authority over all state crimes, they are prohibited from taking actions that violate the state or U.S. Constitution, including constitutional guarantees of due process, equal protection, and freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures. Investigations must be based on credible information and the surveillance, search, and seizure of persons or things, including voting machines or ballot boxes, generally requires a warrant approved by a judge based on probable cause of a crime. So can sheriffs deputize private citizens to assist in election fraud investigations? This is another topic I deal with in my upcoming book, um, where we, we see just that happening. The answer to the question is likely not. The extent sheriffs have to Power, have the power to deputize private citizens or call up citizen posses 
the authority granted to these individuals cannot exceed that of the sheriff, and in many states is further limited. Thus, if a sheriff lacks authority under state law to investigate election fraud, deputized private citizens also lack that authority. Moreover, use of deputized private citizens in an investigation into alleged voter fraud would not seem to be an appropriate use of the traditional power of posse comitatus, which is Latin for the power of the country, under any circumstances. In general, a sheriff's power to summon members of the public to aid in law enforcement, or the posse comitatus power, may be authorized under state law or as a residual power under common law. Depending on state law, posse members or deputized private citizens may assist a sheriff with tasks ranging from service of process to security at county events, hostage situations and wildfires, and or pursuing fugitives. Some states limit the role of posse members or deputized private citizens to particular functions, such as serving process or executing warrants. States have also imposed procedural restrictions requiring appointments to be made in writing and or recorded in a register showing the terms and circumstances of such appointment. Although some states require training for members of organized citizen posses, others allow sheriffs to call upon citizens on a more ad hoc basis to provide backup during situations involving combative suspects, felony stops, in-progress crimes, or search and rescue. In some states, members of the sheriff's volunteer posse may be authorized to carry firearms. States may also require the posting of a bond or proof of insurance for liability purposes. Most of the laws that authorize sheriffs to form posses or deputize civilians require such individuals to be citizens or residents of the county. A few states, like Kentucky, explicitly prohibit bringing any armed person into the state to help preserve the peace. These sorts of provisions prevent, for example, sheriffs from importing like-minded members of unlawful private militias or other domestic extremist groups into the, the county to assist with investigation, surveillance, or, or security. Can sheriffs obtain voter information in their jurisdictions? States have varied requirements governing who may request a list of registered voters what information such as such a list contains, what information must remain confidential, and how the shared information may be used. Sensitive personal information on voters, such as their social security and driver's license numbers, are protected from disclosure by either statute or constitutional privacy rights. Many states have specific protections against the disclosure of any information for certain categories of voters, such as law enforcement officers or public health or safety personnel, or have created address confidentiality programs or ACPs by which those who have been victims of domestic violence, sex assault, stalking, or other crimes can pre-register to protect their personal information. Some states also allow for records to be made confidential upon the voter's request. This National Conference of State Legislatures has compiled a state-by-state -state list of information on the laws governing access to voter registration lists. If a sheriff is not responsible for investigating election fraud, then who is? State and local authorities, such as secretaries of state, district attorneys, commonwealth attorneys, and some state attorney general, 
have authority to enforce state and local level election laws and to utilize state and local law enforcement agencies to investigate such violations and arrest perpetrators. This may, in jurisdictions where it is authorized, include the county sheriff's office. But the roles of law enforcement should be limited to investigating whether a crime occurred and may not extend into overseeing or monitoring election administration, as that is beyond the authority of the sheriffs. Federal law enforcement authorities, including U.S. attorneys, have broad power to both investigate and prosecute a wide variety of federal election law violations, as described by the U.S. Department of Justice, including credible allegations of voting more than once, fraudulent registration or voting, and voting by non-citizens, and to enforce civil rights statutes that protect the right to vote and impose record-keeping requirements. The U.S. Department of Justice has issued guidance to ensure that post-election audits conducted pursuant to state law do not run afoul of federal laws regulating elections. So what do I do if I think a county sheriff is acting outside of his or her authority? Local election officials should contact their local or state legal counsel, such as a city or county attorney, district or commonwealth attorneys, or the state attorney general. If asked to provide information to a sheriff about election processes or if asked to allow a sheriff involvement in the administration of elections, counsel should consult their state constitution and state laws to determine the scope of the sheriff's authority in their state. And if any limitations or expectations thereto before giving advice to election officials and employees. Requesting a state attorney general opinion or guidance should also be considered. In cases of overreach, attorneys, state, county, municipal, district, and commonwealth should intervene to curtail such overreach using legal options available under state law in order to protect election integrity and the right to vote. Other means of accountability may also be available under the applicable law in the relevant county or state, so election officials or voters should explore if there are any other avenues in which to raise concerns about sheriff overreach. Voters who are concerned about investigative overreach by a sheriff may also seek clarification of the sheriff's role from the county or city attorney local district attorney, commonwealth attorney, or state attorney general, and in appropriate circumstances, as noted below, there are procedures available for seeking to remove, suspend, or recall a sheriff. So here's some background information on sheriffs. What is a sheriff, and how is a sheriff different from a pol police chief? Well, there is significant variation from state to state as to the laws that create the offices of county sheriff and that provide for overseeing and holding those offices accountable. In most states, the Office of County Sheriff is created by the state constitution. Sheriffs are the chief law enforcement officer of counties, whereas police chiefs exercise law enforcement authorities in cities and incorporated municipalities. Sheriffs are elected, whereas police chiefs generally are appointed by local officials or municipal or county boards. There are approximately 3,000 sheriffs throughout the United States as compared to some 13,000 police chiefs. Most sheriffs have authority throughout the county, although often with the, an understanding that they will not exercise this authority where municipal police departments have jurisdiction, whereas police chiefs generally exercise authority only in their municipalities. Sheriffs are county officials, but they often do not directly answer to any 
official in the counties where they serve other than that of the electorate which votes them in. Police chiefs, on the other hand, are generally authorized by state law, but are created at the local level and answerable to local authorities that hold them accountable through hiring, firing, and resource allocation. Sheriffs tend to serve longer in office than police chiefs. The average police chief serves for three years, whereas the average sheriff serves for 11. So what are the duties of a sheriff? The duties of sheriff vary state by state. In most states, the duties of sheriff reflect the common law power that sheriffs had at the nation's founding, which included preserving the peace, preventing and suppressing all public disturbances, called a phrase at common law, breaches of the peace, riots, insurrections, arresting and taking before the courts persons who attempted to commit or who committed a public offense, attending court, providing court security, and serving court processes, and administering the county jails. Most state constitutions authorize the state legislature to prescribe the duties of the sheriff. Thus, in most states, sheriff duties are set out in state law, and in some states have been narrowly interpreted or limited. In other states, sheriffs retain the full scope of their common law duties, although state legislatures may alter or prescribe limitations on those duties in certain circumstances. Where a state constitution does not provide the legislature with the authority to define or change the powers of, for, of county sheriffs, the legislature or any other state or local official may not be able to diminish the powers traditionally recognized at common law or by the state constitution or transfer them to others without amending the state constitution. The allocation of traditional law enforcement responsibilities between a county sheriff's office and any municipal police department within that county varies from state to state and even from county to county. Ordinarily, the jurisdiction of both a sheriff's office and a police department is concurrent, but the relationship between these two entities may be controlled by state law, regulated by memoranda of understanding or contracts executed between the entities, or divided as a matter of long-standing practice. So who can remove a sheriff? And, and I think part of the reason they they put this question into the fact sheet is because part of the, the kind of mythology, the modern mythology that is out there around these constitutional sheriffs is that only the uh, coroner can remove the county sheriff from office. At least that's what I ran into in, in my dealings with the constitutional sheriff's communities. So the authority to remove or suspend a sheriff varies from state to state because sheriffs are elected officials the ultimate power resides with voters who in states with recall procedures can vote to recall a sheriff or can vote a sheriff out of office at the end of their term. In some states, the governor can suspend an elected county official, including a sheriff, for cause, but removal requires action by the legislature. In other states, state constitutions provide that the governor can remove an elected sheriff. In some states, a sheriff can be removed through a voter petition process with court review. In some states, there is no authority for removal beyond elections. In some jurisdictions, in responses to various actions taken by sheriffs, governors, and other public officials are seeking to create authority to remove or terminate the sheriff. So that's it. That's, that's kind of 
um, this fact sheet that was put together by States United Democracy Center and the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection with Georgetown Law. And I thought it just had some great information that really can help to cut through some of the, 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 the myths that have risen up, the conspiracy theories that have risen up around this whole movement. And um, that's really what Georgetown Law does. They, they really kind of just cut to the truth of things. So I'm going to include a link to this. I want to thank uh, ICAP at Georgetown Law for giving me permission to, to cover this and read it on the podcast. And um, we may even have someone on from Georgetown Law to further speak about these topics. And, and of course, we've had Mary McCord on. Um, who's the uh, the director of uh, ICOP over at Georgetown Law um, previously. And uh, so we'll probably be doing that pretty soon. Uh, next episode, we're going to be uh, digging into what we're actually voting on come two weeks from today. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I'll talk with you again soon. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Colorado Switchblade. And I'm Jason Van Tatenove, your host.